Oh, good day, everyone. It's early. That's right. On a Friday, it's Peter Dunn, Pete the Planner. Uh, I said CEO of something. I don't even know. Hey, it's the host of the Pete the Planner show. And there's Damien Dunn. Dame, I've shot so many videos and things this week where I'm claiming to be this person or that person that I don't even know how to label myself when I start a radio show these days. They all blend together, much like all of your personalities. Mea culpa time. We're sorry the volume has not been great here recently. The production value of the podcast has slipped. Dame is low. I am high. We're trying to fix it this week. Stick around. We're sorry that you have to turn it up so you can hear Dame, and then I blast your eardrums with frivolity, and that's never fun. No. I sounded insincere when I apologized there, didn't I? I think that's probably because you were. I, it's not, actually, I am sincerely uh, apologetic about the whole thing. I'm just frustrated by it because I just don't want to spend any time on it. Well, people may not understand if they've never put together a production before how time-consuming it can be to chase down the one little detail that may be throwing everything off. And if you don't have time to do that, then it just becomes one more thorn in your side. Those watching on Facebook Live and YouTube Live are wondering, why in the world is Peter in a three-piece suit? Uh, minus the jacket. Therefore, a two-piece suit, but a different variety. Going to a funeral today. So thank you for asking, everybody. Lost it. A dear man. Fred Fred Parker. Poor man. But, so anyway, we will go say goodbye to him later today. All right. Dame, let's do the show. Um, we've got our segments lined up. The audience isn't really building because, well, we're broadcasting at an unusual time right now. But you know what? They'll get over it, right? I hope they come back uh, eventually. So here's what I've said. I don't care who's watching, and I don't care if the audio quality is bad. Is that what I've said? So essentially. Far? Essentially. Thank you, Danza, for the kind words. Okay. Uh, Dan, we'll start the show in three, two. This week on the Pete the Planner Show, we answer your money questions. Here how is how the show works. You email us, askpete at petetheplanner.com. That's askpete at petetheplanner.com. And Damien Dunn, no relation, Vice President of Advice at Your Money Line and Hey Money, joins me to answer your questions. Hi, Dan. Don't you think it'd just blow people's mind if someday we said, you know what, we've been related this whole time. It's just been a big, big ploy. Didn't we uh, threaten to do like a 23andMe and then I backed out because I didn't yeah. want my DNA out there or something? Yeah, <laughs> something yeah. Mr. Conspiracy Theory. Okay, so Oz is slacking me right now. Is she about to tell me our radio is low? No, she is not. Okay, our volume <laughs> is low. Okay, Dame, here we go. Uh Several questions this week to go through here on the show. The first one revolves around uh, a person's retirement. They emailed me, and I'm going to uh, give it to you now. Uh, Dear Pete, my wife, 76, and I, 78, are retired. We both have a pension, our house is paid off, and our income greatly exceeds our expenses. We have over $1.2 million invested, and we haven't touched it and don't plan on touching it. We've always been conservative investors, but we've recently gotten to a point in which we want to be done with stock market investing altogether. We just don't want to think about our money fluctuating in value. And we also don't want bonds or annuities. We just want to be done. Are we being foolish? William in Newport Beach. Dame, what do you think? Interesting situation. Uh, there's... I mean, this isn't a quite as uncommon as it, as it may sound to some folks. Uh, if you are uh, a family who's got uh, who are two people employed with with pensions and then maybe Social Security on top of it, 
and lived a relatively conservative lifestyle, it's not uncommon to retire with at least as much income as you had when you were in full uh, working ages. So even though it seems maybe a little foreign to us, it is very possible. So in this particular instance, I mean, Crimey, they were excellent savers, it sounds like, and they've got all the income they need based on what their expenses may be. As long as inflation doesn't screw things up drastically for them, I think it's very possible that they could check out of the market and just live their life. I guess the question becomes for me, uh, there, there's a big element I want to talk about in a second, but but to your point, how bad does inflation have to be to mess them up? If they are currently uh, earning via the pension and Social Security much more than they need, they're not touching the $1.2 million, how much does inflation have to crush them for them to use up all of their income on their expenses and then have to dig into the $1.2 million? A lot. I, I mean, it's going to be impossible for us to come up with a realistic number, but part of their income right now, the Social Security side, is going to be tied at least a little bit to inflation, so that's going to be continually bumped. Uh, the pensions, who knows? I, I doubt it. That's probably going to be a fixed amount of money on a monthly basis. But then the uh, uh, the savings side, uh, if even if their expenses start to outstrip the income that they're receiving, they're not going to come anywhere close, most likely, to pulling 4% of that money out on an annual basis to, to meet their needs. So I think they've got tons and tons of wiggle room, and they can start to uh, honestly look to enjoy some of that money and, uh, and what they might be able to do with it. Yeah, you know, we are in the next segment going to talk about how Social Security is going to adjust next year based on this inflation we're dealing with right now. So to the point you just made, uh, they are protected in that sense. The, the pension's a different story. Uh, Dame, what if this person wasn't 76 and 78 years old, uh, they and their spouse, and they were 36 and 38 years old, and they had a $100,000 nest egg, and they also wanted to be done with the market? Is our guidance the same for that person? I can't imagine it would be uh, for that case. They, they'd have to show me a, a way that they are planning on building that nest egg with similar market type returns. I mean, there are ways to do it. You could feasibly get into, well, once upon a time, you could feasibly get into real estate and have uh, a different sort of income stream set up. Uh, who knows what the real estate market, uh, especially for rentals, is going to look like going forward. It's just maybe a little bit too early to tell on that side. But there's a need that everyone is going to have to account for once they get to retirement. And I don't care if you get it through the stock market or an annuity or bonds or real estate or owning a business until you die and just uh, take uh, profits out of it. However you decide you're most comfortable getting there, fine. But let's really crunch the numbers and make sure that it's a reasonable approach for you. Yeah, I think what's different about this 76-year-old and 78-year-old compared to a 36 and a 38-year-old is this 76 and 78-year-old have earned the right to be done with it. When you're 36 and 38 and dismayed with the market or whatever, or fluctuations, unfortunately, to no fault of your own or fault of your own, you, you, haven't, you haven't earned the right. That's, that's the nature of sort of the financial privilege these people have created for themselves. So uh, I think they can be out of the market. I will know one thing that concerns me about the situation, though, quite a bit, uh, and it has nothing to do with the market. These people are doing well. They got plenty of money, plenty of income. Dame, what happens 
when someone has a long-term care need or an in-home care need, that is a problem. And so uh, this, I wrote about this actual question in my USA Today column this week. And uh, asset-based long-term care would be a beautiful thing for these people. Yeah, I think this one fits really, really well. They could just put one lump sum of money towards that sort of protection, never have to worry about ongoing payments uh, in the future. And it's money they don't, I'm uh, sorry, money they aren't currently using. Who knows if they will need it in the future, but they aren't currently using it. So that would add an additional layer of protection to make sure that both uh, of the folks in that relationship are covered in the event of something really horrible happening to them down the road. Yeah, we did a participant event yesterday for uh, your Moneyline clients. And Dane, we talked about being present in your own financial life during that event. And I think this is a really good example. This email of William, who emailed us, is present. He's saying, you know what? Uh, I I'm taking a look at what's going on right now. And this is no longer making sense to me. And I, that's what I really dig about this is that you and I have investment objectives right now. You and I have things we have to worry about. And as we get older, you know, 30 years older, those things are going to shift and you have to be present. Otherwise, you're just going to lead to it's going to lead to more heartache. And so I'm I'm a big fan of this email from William because I don't think enough people ask him this uh, themselves this question and i also think and even though you and i are a pro financial advisor i think a lot of financial advisors talk people out of this sentiment in my opinion i was just about to ask you if you think william has a financial advisor i think he does because i think something is is telling him other than just conventional wisdom to stay invested what do you think that's my suspicion because it would be really difficult for a lot of financial advisors to have a million dollar plus account and have the person say, you know what, I just want to be in cash. I don't want you to manage the money anymore. I just want it to sit and I'll use it when I need it. Thank you for your services. I'm moving on. Isn't that basically five to $10,000 of lost revenue for a financial advisor somewhere in that range if they lose this client who then goes to a series of bank accounts that have the proper level of FDIC coverage? Yeah, and it was probably a really low risk, uh, low uh, effort account as well because they didn't really need the money. The, the income was being provided by the, the different uh, income streams between the pension and the social security. Yeah, the time, not that advisors don't spend time on everyone's particular accounts, but this William guy, just how he writes, seems pretty low maintenance, pretty laid back. So yeah, I, I, I am, now I am curious that we bring that up. Like how much is his advisor, if he has one, trying to talk him into staying? Because the guy brought up annuities, so maybe his advisor brought up annuities. True. Maybe that's the whole, maybe that's the tell on this one. Anyway, uh, William, Yes, in our opinion, you have earned the right to be out of the market, but certainly make sure that you're using FDIC the right way with your certain bank accounts uh, and get the right, proper coverage that way. Dame, coming up after break, we're going to hit the tail end of this with the Social Security adjustment coming next year because of inflation. All that's next on the Pete the Planner Show. I'm Pete the Planner. My man Roy popped in to say hello on Facebook. R Roy and I were financial advisors together for... Uh, early part of my career. Hello, Roy. Is, is Roy suggesting the annuity to uh, our last? <laughs> I don't know. He might. Uh, uh, it, that's the thing. I think you, you and I both know Dames, uh, a lot of financial advisors uh, tune in and, and we appreciate their support. And uh, by the way, your advisors or otherwise, people are free to disagree with us and give us their opinion, but we're not going to you know, 
yell at them or anything like that. Uh, Dame, how's the co- three coworkers at the outset of today's show all decided to slack me at the same time? Um, well, they're not used to us doing the show at this time either, so they figure you're uh, you're free to free to chat. Dame, I'm very excited. This is my official last official work duty before uh, my first vacation in a very long time. Once again, it's just me and the listeners standing between you and freedom. I couldn't decide, and you and I didn't even talk about this, whether you should just do a show with without me and host it with someone else next week or uh, just go best of next week. Uh, we'll talk after the show. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Uh, let's do that inflation uh, social security story. It's right here. All right. Are you ready to go? Let's do it. Three, two, one. Back on the Pete the Planner show. Dame, uh, in the last segment, we were answering an email from William who emailed askpete at petetheplanner.com. And uh, William has some protection with the uh, rigors of inflation beating him over the head from a Social Security perspective because every year there's a COLA, a cost of living adjustment on Social Security retirement benefits. And just this week... Uh, we've gotten uh, an estimate of what the adjustment's going to be in 2022. And Dame, that's quite the raise. Did you see it? Uh, I did, but I can't recall exactly what it is. It's like 20%, right? <laughs> I wish. Uh, 6.1%. Oh. 6%. Uh, this, of course, is coming from the nonpartisan partisan advocacy group, the Senior Citizens League. I, I think I've got some of the rookie cards stashed somewhere away. Uh, it's a, also a bump from last month's estimate. I think I touched on this on the show last month where they thought it would be 5.3%. But now since the new estimate of the consumer price index from June increasing 5.4%, they're thinking 6.1%. That's a lot a lot of money that's a huge increase oh yeah i mean for years and years and years typically you only hear about the other side of that equation how social security really doesn't increase and it's barely a meaningful adjustment this year has the potential to be a gigantic increase something very meaningful and very noticeable so good on those of you that are collecting social security you know what I can't figure out yet because I'm not an economist and anyone who's listening to the show who is an economist will just laugh at me and, and judge me. Dame, typically, you know, if we're dealing with an inflationary environment, don't we typically see higher interest rates uh, in an inflationary environment? Therefore, you're also going to see like a CD at a bank paying 8% uh, be, be to keep pace with all this stuff am i am i stating that wrong am i am i just showing how little i know about economics no it's not uncommon if we think about the last time we had a a very high inflationary period in the u.s which would have been uh you know late 70s early 80s you know mortgage rates were uh i think in double digits in in some instances interest rates were incredibly high you know people were talking about cds that they had that were paying potential double digits if they were long enough it, just a different time period. So typically with inflation, uh, higher inflation period, yes, we do see higher interest rates that go along with that. We haven't got there yet because in general, things are still really, really low. And we have had a very short term uh, rise in inflation. Who knows if it'll stay there or not. But the Fed has decided to keep things under control on the interest rate side. And we'll see if that changes uh, in the near future. But it's not going to get ramped up really quick, and it's a long way to go until we get to even the interest rates that we had 15 years ago. 
There was concern this week that inflation is going to become increasingly problematic for people on the very low end of the wage scale to the point where the inflation we're seeing in the housing market, the price increases we're seeing in the housing market are completely pricing minimum wage and living wage workers out of the ability to afford housing, which that's pretty darn extreme, Dame. The idea that that I mean, there's there's long been the argument that minimum wage was so low because you can't afford a lot of different things. Now we're saying the most elementary expense, housing, is unattainable based on the current level of inflation. That that's a little terrifying. I have to admit, I read that headline on the way home yesterday in traffic. I was parked more or less, and I saw it on my phone. I was like, "Yeah, that's not good." Yeah, the, some of the issues that I hope don't persist. Uh, are going to be pretty serious and this is one of them and if you look around uh, enough websites and check and see what housing is in certain areas of the country uh, you have the typical offenders you know san francisco and coastal cities have always been expensive but now places like boulder colorado where a, you know a, a, a thousand square foot essentially a, a tear down house is going to be three quarters of a million dollars just because it's in the right zip code uh, in a, a, a big city that's not too far away from me. Someone took an abandoned building in a uh, on the edge of uh, uh, outside of the, the, the city proper, um, rehabbed it, and there are three units there now for $1.2 million a piece. And that is greatly out of the, the price range of the surrounding neighborhoods. And it, it just is... A problem that's going to have to be reckoned with gentrification of certain areas is is going to cause really big problems for a, a big number of people if we're not careful the the effects of how this recession and the recovery is going on even stretch to all corners of our country even look at uh, rent retail rents in new york city and how much they've fallen and how restaurants are uh, starting up left and right in new york because rents are so low in fact, this article uh, in front of me right now suggests La Casa del Mo Mofongo, Mofongo, oh. which is, I believe it's like a, it's like a, I think it's like a, like a polenta style thing made of yucca root. I might be making that up. Mofongo. Mofongo? Like I yeah. thought, that, thought that was the, uh, was that the villain in The Lion King? Could have been. That's Mufasa. Oh. A Latin restaurant and nightclub signed a 10-year deal on a 15,000 square foot space to close to Herald Square in... Um, in New York City, because rates are falling, or I should say, uh, square foot price per square foot is falling so fast in New York City, uh, it's pretty wild. Like I, I sometimes wish we weren't in this moment right now, so I could just watch it from above, and it, it seemed like high school econ all over again. But I feel like everything's heading in weird, different directions, including mortgage rates fell even lower mm -hmm. this week, and so refinances are up again. I think I feel a little bit different about uh, commercial rent rates versus uh, residential rent rates. I mean, if, if we can uh, spur some development and uh, entrepreneurship with uh, good commercial rent rates to potentially reinfuse areas of, of cities that have been uh, overlooked or neglected for a long period of time to potentially bring more people to those areas, I, I think I'm in favor of that side of it. It's the, com it's the residential, I'm sorry, rates that that are really most concerning. So do you have any idea what average asking retail rents um, are in New York City right now? How much per square foot do you think retail costs 
Uh, and, and it's down 10.7% from last year at this time. And it's fallen 15 quarters in a row. But guess what the average dollar square per square foot uh, is in retail rent in New York City? Uh, let's see. 200. Uh, 1,000 bucks a square foot? Uh, it was at one time, right? I mean, you're exactly right. Uh, but it's 615 dollars a square foot right now, which, you know, given that it's fallen 15 quarters in a row, that's how we arrive at that number. Um, and again, as we've talked on this show for well over a year, if not for 12 years, the, the stock market and the economy are not the same thing. Was the market, the stock market continues to give us some very nice returns, some pretty interesting signals of what could be, you still end up with, with economic stories like this, which are jarring and just make you think like at what point do the market and, and the economy cross back over and meet back up? I guess I should say like they did in March of 2020, where both were just getting beaten uh, pretty badly. And that's why if you and I knew that answer, we'd be doing this show from the Caribbean <laughs> with great audio. Maybe email or William knows something and that's why yeah. one's completely out of the market. I mean, look, going back to that last segment for a second, and even I guess it crosses over to this segment, uh, isn't it nice to eliminate different areas of worry in your life? And this idea that if an area of worry is that your money's constantly fluctuating, you can permanently put an end to that. I mean, that is both true. And the fact that you're losing buying power because of intense inflation makes it not true. But uh, I'm, I guess I'm just jealous of William. Yeah. I, and you know what? He should be celebrating right now. He's earned that right. And he shouldn't have uh, any stress over this decision. So I, I hope he uh, comes to peace with it. What are the chances that 78-year-old William listens to the radio show and he's just not like a reader of the column? Maybe he just uh, listens while he mows the yard. Ah, uh, yes. All right, Dame, let's do this. Let's take a break. Coming up after the break, I got a great question from a friend of mine about how do you get your teen set up to invest and save money? We're going to talk about that next in a banking story, of course. I'm Pete the Planner, and this is the show. All right, Dame. So for those in the saga of my kids' banking issues, <laughs> my prediction last week of what would happen when I took Ted into the bank because his account went dormant and they were charging him monthly fees because of it, basically exactly what I said would happen happened. Mm -hmm. It was not the best way to end the week. It was really frustrating. No, but uh, I'm, I'm glad Ted got a chance to experience what living life with a celebrity dad is like oh that's that <laughs> that that hurts that was below the belt and you said it because you knew it would make me mad that's yeah. the best part yeah i hate you in a good way thomas if you're listening i do not hate your father i love him very much i mean you know appropriately right That'd be a big explanation too. All right. Uh, so Dame, uh, yeah, let's hit this. This is uh, talking to kids about money, teens. What do you do? This, that, and the other in three, two, one. Back on the Pete the Planner show. Dame got an email from a friend named Eric. Uh, I'm not going to give you his last name. I'm not trying to share my friends with you. Uh, and he had a question. He has a, a teen son and he had a question about like, how can he get the kid investing and all these sorts of other things? So let's hit it. Hey, Pete. Uh, my almost 16 year old has saved about $1,400 in allowances, birthday stuff, doing extra work around the house, et cetera. I got him a local checking account balance of about $445 last year with a debit card so he could do some spending on his own. And now the 1400 is just chilling in the savings account. As you know, the interest from the savings account is trivial these days. We are trying to demonstrate that poking some money away 
to grow is what responsible people do. So is there a better way to make that $1,400 work for him? Eric, now, <laughs> Dame, this is a more complicated question than one might think because there are three elements at play here. The first one and a half are going pretty well. Uh, give a kid uh, an account to spend out of and, and how they see how commerce flows. Ideally, income goes into that account and fills it and it comes back out. So the, the $445 check, the need to have a checking account and debit card and teach how digital currency works, check. It works. Thank you. The second aspect of this is savings, which I also think is a really incredibly valuable lesson to store money away for later, for safekeeping. Uh, however, the third point really gets lost in this because you can't grow money in a savings account. The, the need and desire to have money grow is important. You can't find it here, which is why we need to introduce a whole other concept to Eric. Your thoughts? I agree. Uh, while you were talking, I did have a question that I want to run past you. And I, I think it might be an interesting concept to introduce to Eric Jr. or, or whoever it may be. Sure. How early is too early to introduce the concept of an emergency fund to someone? Yeah, that, that's a really good point. Um, that's interesting. I've never thought of it that way. I guess... I mean, this is a good time any at 16 or even 12, as I, I think about my daughter trying to teach her about checking and savings. I think it's hard to get your head around a financial emergency and, and like what the volume of that is or the mm -hmm. magnitude of that at that age. But to be fair, you and I both know a lot of adults, adults that can't get their head around that either. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I don't know how you think about that. I, I think maybe um, if you expand on that idea, maybe this is the point where you talk about um, the buckets. Uh, for him at this point, you, you have a, a piece of money that is set aside for emergencies, even though you know, mom and dad are going to cover any emergencies that are, arise in your life at this point. But still, the concept is good to understand. And then you have that midterm bucket where you can uh, expose that money to a little bit of risk and invest and uh, do do whatever you want to figure out. Because honestly, if you're going to make some mistakes, make them now uh, to, to figure out what you are comfortable with and and aren't comfortable with. And then you've got that uh, maybe that long-term bucket that you're not really filling up just quite yet because, well, frankly, it's not quite time necessarily. Unless you've got a, a job as a teen and you want to contribute to a Roth IRA or something of that nature, then by all means, absolutely go for it. But at this point, you know, maybe the bucket approach is, is not a, a bad idea to start introducing your, your children to. That was my answer too, right? It was, uh, go figure, uh, keep the 445 in the checking. That's bucket one. Mm -hmm. uh, bucket two, uh, we're going to call the savings at account at $1,000 and just cap at 1000 which leaves us 400 bucks on the top end or any other deposits, future deposits this person wants to make to go into the investing bucket. And I think if you're going to teach a, a teen how to invest, there's, a, there's a, a good ways to do it. And then there's very common, horrible ways to do it. Uh, and so what I recommended is they go with a very large traditional uh, trading company, I mean, investment company <laughs> like Fidelity or, yeah. you know, Ameritrade or something yeah. like that. Get up at sort of a teen account set up. Fidelity has a new teen brokerage account. I think we talked about it a few months ago on the show. And here's what I would recommend. I would put uh, half of whatever is going to be invested in a boring index fund 
and I would put half in a consumer-based stock that interests the kid. And then I would just watch things happen. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's a, an interesting approach to make sure that uh, the individual, that the child, gets exposure to two of the more common ways of investing. You've, you've got the one that takes in everything into aggregate, and then you also have the individual equity as well that you know they, they care about, they're passionate about, but then they can learn about you know following headlines and, and looking at prices and, and all that good stuff. If they're a real nerd, they can go look at tax disclosures and try and figure out what all that means. But um, yeah, I, I have no problems letting uh, someone who's just getting started get their feet wet uh, a little bit. And, and honestly, here, I thought you were going to say, you know what, just go put it all into cryptocurrency and forget about it. No, that's what you would say. You would open a Robinhood account and then buy cryptocurrency. But I, I in, in not so many words, I did try to dissuade my friend Eric from having his son open a Robinhood account because gamifying this process is not what you want to teach at this point in time. You just want the natural ebbs and flows of the market, the numbers themselves to do the dancing and not the graphics and confetti and everything else. Yeah, I think the temptation when you're young is going to be um, showing your friends what you got going on. And, you know, hey, I've got a Robinhood account and here's what it's doing. Look, you know, show them your phone and, and what's going on. No, I, honestly, it's okay if it's boring. Uh, they, just get them used to putting money away, looking for the results, evaluating the investments that they've got and thinking long term with it. So. Uh, Robinhood's probably not the right option at this point, and I do like the idea of going with a, an established firm that can uh, can cater to their their needs. It's now time for the segment. <clears throat> take a load of this guy, or take a look at this guy, or get a load of this guy. Dame, here's this guy. Dame, when I was in sixth grade, I used to look up my stock prices in the business section of the newspaper four days a week. Four days a week. Yeah, for some reason, it wasn't five days a week. Like they would print Monday's uh, prices on Tuesday, Tuesday. Tuesdays on Wednesdays, Wednesdays on Thursdays, Thursdays on Fridays. And then for some reason, they wouldn't necessarily print Fridays on Saturdays. But sometimes on Sundays, they'd have a recap of the week, which made no sense because you've missed all the price movement. But yeah, that's that's how I would check my account uh, when I was trading tobacco stocks back in my teens is I would wait for the paper to sh show up and I'd look for the Philip Morris ticker symbol. Just walk around and high five the kids that were smoking outside of school? <laughs> yes, I was like, they, there was a whole campaign in the middle school, of like, don't use tobacco, you know, kick its butt, you know, but it was yeah. like cigarette butts. And I was yeah. like, eh, we got to look at the other side of this, you know? And what's about this personal freedom stuff? I mean, you can't tell me what to do. Let me, let me uh, live my own life, man. At least let him chew. Yeah. No. Um... But could you, I mean, I guess the same thing can be said about the newspaper business in general today, which, boy, I'm treading pretty dangerously given I write for newspapers. But it's like you're reading what happened previously, not even close to in the moment. And whether that matters or doesn't matter, it does matter when you talk about financial markets, I guess. It depends on what your goal is. Is it long-term stuff? Who cares? Why are you checking it every day if it's long-term anyway? Because I was 16. What else was I going to do? Watch Thundercats reruns? Yeah, because you were that guy. I was that guy. All right, Dame. So that's our recommendation. Keep money in a debit card account for a teen to spend through. Have a set level of savings, 500, 1,000, 1,500, depending on what you have, and just have it sit there and be boring and have their back and be this junior emergency fund that I'm... Now I'm going to have to get my head around Dame and come up with something uh, innovative there. 
or maybe just have you do it. Uh, and then the third bucket, of course, is to show them how price fluctuations can be exciting and terrifying and uh, start to develop that risk tolerance. I think properly developing your team's risk tolerance is super important and dumping them into crypto or GameStop or AMC ain't the way to do it. That's not the way to develop someone's investment chops. Get them in an index fund and then just a consumer-based stock. I mean, although you could argue, Dame, that GameStop would be appealing to a 16-year-old kid, have it be something like Krispy Kreme donuts or Starbucks, mm. whatever kids are into. Sure. Yeah, I think that makes total sense and uh, will set them up for a successful long-term investing career. Dame, coming up after the break, the biggest waste of money of the week and the news, I found last week's biggest waste of money of the week uh, while I was doom scrolling in bed. And so I will share with you next right here on the Pete the Planner Show. I'm a fella. All right. Um, da -da -da -da. What was your first individual stock you owned, Dame? Facebook. Oh yeah, I think we've talked about this because you didn't buy individual stocks until yeah, I, until later. yeah, like fifteen years ago, twelve, fifteen years ago maybe, and okay. uh, it hit the target that I was going for and sold out, and it promptly continued to double or triple beyond that, and here we are. My first three were uh, Philip Morris, uh, Fifth Third Bank, and then Sirius Satellite Radio. Ooh. Serious satellite radio, I think I went from like 20 cents to four bucks a share and I had thousands of shares. Yeah. That was nice. Yeah. Uh, do you remember when you first got into investing and you, you would be like, I'm going to take a look at penny stocks. Do you remember that whole like... Totally. Like, I don't know. Everyone's... Because it sounds cheap. And so you're like, well, I mean, it's just pennies. Yeah. So let's just see the penny stocks. Yeah, there was a a large automotive related company in my hometown that uh, that had some big financial trouble a number of years ago, and their stock went to less than a dollar a share. And uh, of course, my dad, being the uh, wonderful dad he was, uh, told all his friends that I had bought tens of thousands of shares of it, <laughs> and because then it promptly went right back up to you know. 10 or 12 bucks a share. And so uh, they were, all his friends were looking at me like I was now going to be the guy that was buying their drinks for the rest of their life. But uh, no, I, I did not, unfortunately. What was the other? The pink sheets. Pink sheets. Check out the pink sheets. Yep. Okay. All right. Let's do the final segment. Are you ready with uh, news, current events? I got it ready to go. Hopefully I don't steal one of your current events because one of them is the biggest waste of money. I bet it is. I, but I, that was down the list. But I, I think I know exactly where you're going. And three two, one. This week's biggest waste of money of the week right here on the Pete the Planner show is, Dame, I don't know if you know about the billionaires going to space. You've only brought it up the last two weeks. Uh, you know about it, right? I've heard something. And if you're keeping score at home, you wanted to have me bet on whether they'd make it back. Well, Richard Branson has made it back. One for one. One for one. And Jeff Bezos, Bezos, I never know how to... I, I don't either. Does it, I mean, if we mispronounce his name, is he going to get care. mad? He don't care. So he's going up uh, with Blue Origin, which is the name of his company. <laughs> Who cares? Uh, but there was an auction. Uh, 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 someone bid $28 million to ride along with Jeff Bezos, Bezos, on Blue Origin and his brother Mark uh, and aerospace pioneer Wally Funk, I just wanted to say Wally Funk 
And the person that bid $28 million isn't going on the mission. Yeah. I mean, you know, you never know when the cable guy is going to show up, they give you that range and maybe it just crossed over and he, he can't make it now. Yeah. So that's the weird thing about this is that uh, the guy's not going on because he can't make the schedule work. He might go on a future mission. Now, the money was donated to charity. $28 million was donated actually to a foundation that Bezos uh, controls. Um, <laughs> so now the son of a CEO of a Dutch private equity firm, Somerset Capital Partners, this uh, 18-year-old kid, Oliver Damien, is going in his place. And so, uh, boy, money talks and uh, spaceships fly, right? Exactly. I think that's how I remember that saying going all the time. Do you have any interest whatsoever in going to outer space and how these people are going to outer space? Like they're going up and they're up there for a couple of minutes and they come. Is that, does that interest you on any human level? Forget the money. Like I buy you a ticket. Are you going? Oh yeah. If you buy me the ticket, absolutely. Uh, but you know, to go up there and spend a couple minutes floating around and coming back down, I, I at least want to, circle the earth a couple times probably but to make it worth my time yeah i don't have much interest in this whole thing like i know if i went to try to climb mount everest i would most most likely die hmm. but i would have and especially how bad i am at altitude getting altitude sickness uh but i would much rather go try to do something where i've done something as opposed to i just sit and i fly up into space i don't know i, I mean do we talk about like me wanting to go to space camp when I was a kid. Oh at, yeah, at we've, we've, yeah, we've I, talked about this. Yeah. So I mean, this is this is very appealing to me, but the cost for two minutes of floating around, uh, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like a good use of anybody's money yet. Note to self: return gift card. <clears throat> Dame, what's in the news this week? It's comfort food in a cone. Mm-hmm. A limited edition macaroni and cheese flavored ice cream will hit uh, freezers nationwide this week. Brooklyn-based ice cream maker Van Leeuwen and Kraft Heinz announced Tuesday of this week. The cheesy frozen treat, and that makes me want to wretch just saying it, went on sale for $12 a pint on Wednesday to mark National Macaroni and Cheese Day. It'll be available for purchase at Van Leeuwen stores across the country as well as online while supplies last. The companies describe the ice cream as a, quote, cool, creamy scoop of ice cream that brings that comforting, nostalgic feeling from a warm bowl of Kraft macaroni and cheese. I will tell you this sounds good to me. What? All right. So Mrs. Planner ran the New York City Marathon several years ago, and there was a, a restaurant in New York called WD-50. And the chef's name was Wiley Dufresne. And it was like the, one of these uh, gastro-culinary things, uh, ga mm -hmm. molecular gastronomy, where they, they make food, taste like other food, but it's in a different form. And one of the dishes we had was lox and bagel, but it was ice cream. And so like the ice one, the, the bagel was formed, uh, ice cream was formed into a bagel formation, which was actually salmon flavored ice cream. And then they had salmon looking ice cream on top which was actually cream cheese and everything seasoning. So it, like, it just blew your mind and you, you're eating it and it, you think one thing's going to taste like one thing and another's another thing, but it all tastes like a beautiful, wonderful bagel, lox and bagel, except the fact that it's ice cream. And it was one of the most mind-blowing culinary experiences I've ever had. And I'm guessing the mac and cheese would, would <clears throat> not deliver on that. 
I no, there's just no way that this is. Ugh, no. Pete, you like to cook. I know you like to cook. Oh, I love to cook. You ever use McCormick spices and rubs? Uh, I think at some point in time in my life, I've I've rubbed down with the McCormicks. Well, they're looking for some help. Specifically, they need a director of taco relations. Pardon me now? A director of taco relations. As the director of taco relations, you'll be McCormick's resident consulting taco expert. You'll be their official eyes and ears for all things tacos. You'll have the opportunity to work with McCormick Kitchens to develop and innovate a delicious taco recipe and travel across the country in search of the latest taco trends, dialogue with other like-minded taco connoisseurs across social media, and be in on the latest street taco seasoning mixes developed by the McCormick Innovation Lab. You must be able to work remotely for up to 20 hours a week from September to December of 2021. Pete, how much do you think they will compensate you for four months of work? I'm thinking a lifetime supply of spices is my guess, honestly. Payment is $25,000 per month, not to exceed a hundred grand. For, to be a, a taco ambassador of some sort? Director of Taco Relations. This is a serious gig, Pete. If you are interested in applying, you have to submit by July 20th, 2021, 11.59 p.m. Eastern. That's a pretty good gig. Do you remember when, you, when you're when you a kid and you're trying to figure out like what are the best and worst jobs and you get like armpit sniffer and then, then you're like, <laughs> no, but I could be an ice cream taster. You know, do you remember the whole thing? I think totally. my kids are into that right now. Yeah. I, do you remember what you would have said is your best job uh, when you were a kid? Probably the same thing as what Ted says, a, a, bas- a basketball player or a football player. Uh, my uh, For a long time, I said everybody might told everybody my dream job was a bullpen catcher for the Chicago Cubs. That's a great, that's uh, that's amazing. I mean, you'd have terrible knees and a, a swollen hand, but you know. I mean, no, if you catch the ball in the pocket of the glove, Pete, you don't get a swollen hand. Look, I, I'm not into hockey. Dane, what else is in the news? States could do a far better job teaching financial literacy in their schools, a new report suggests. To that point, 66% of states earn grades of C or worse for such instruction, according to the nation's report card on financial literacy, a study released by the American Public Education Foundation. Just 17 states were given grades of A or B. The report relied on factors like graduation requirements, standards and curriculums to create its scores, Just five states, Missouri, Nebraska, North Carolina, Utah, and Virginia received an A grade for mandating personal financial education from kindergarten through 12th grade and requiring a standalone personal finance course for high school graduation. Another 12 states received a B, 19 states earned a C, and 12 were given a D. Meanwhile, four spots, Alaska, D.C., Puerto Rico, South Dakota, they got an F. Indiana? You, yeah, what'd they get? You, you want to guess? Uh, C. We got a B, Pete. Indiana. Coming through with a solid B. Uh, you know, this is one of... Uh, if I were in a gripey mood, which I'm not sure I am right now. I'm in a pretty decent mood because I'm about to go on vacation. Um, this is a very frustrating thing for me. Not the lack of education, but the reality as to what the education would need to be to work and why it doesn't work. The fact of the matter is people's financial literacy is in the tank because what would prevent it from being in the tank is to arm them against corporate greed, to show you how to not be taken advantage of by banks and real estate companies and, and, and marketing brands. Like that's 
what it's about, but that's why you'll never have the financial literacy you need because the places that fund this in an altruistic way, because it's a community service project would actually be arming you against themselves. And that's why it'll never work. Yeah, financial literacy, I don't think probably goes quite far enough in determining or uh, describing uh, behavioral issues as well. Boy, I got a little more heated there than I'd like. Well, happy vacation. I almost busted a stitch on my vest. <laughs> All right, well, Dame, um, so we'll figure out if there's a show next week or not. Um, I don't want to be involved because I won't be here. But listen, everyone else, I hope the volume worked this week on the on the show, Dame's volume, not too low, mine, not too high and everything in between. I'm sending you good vibes because good vibes are all that's in the budget. I'm Pete the Planner, and this is the show. Yeah, I'm not kidding. During the show, uh, like everyone I knew called, emailed or texted me or slacked me, <laughs> but they're not all related. So it's not like the world just crashed and they want to know if I'm okay. It's just like, I, I don't know why I don't just turn off all notifications because it was a horrendous, it's a train wreck here. That would have been a good idea. All right. So, Dame, are you doing a show next week? Or are we talking about that off the air, off the oh, air? We're going to talk about that off the air, off the air. Okay. Uh, hey, everybody. I hope you have a good week, whether it's with Dame or with no one. Uh, and, of course, as always, stay getting money.